Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome, everyone, to Beyond Surviving, the safe space for survivors of childhood sexual abuse to receive support, resources, and share their stories. Beyond Surviving is about freedom, healing, connection, and even laughter and fun. Most importantly, it's about letting go of the pain of abuse and finally moving on. I'm Rachel Grant, and for those of you who don't yet know me, I've been a sexual abuse recovery coach since 2007, and I'm the author of Beyond Surviving, the final stage of recovery from sexual abuse. You can learn more about me and the Beyond Surviving program at rachelgrantcoaching.com. Now, folks, today I'm so excited to have here with me my guest, Kim Warnick, and this lady is up to some really fascinating, interesting stuff out in the world. Um, one of my clients actually connected me to Kim um, when she learned about um, and was doing some work for her organization, Calling All Crows, and I immediately reached out and was like, tell me more. I want to learn more about this organization because their focus is really about working with venues festivals, artists, to prevent sexual violence and improve responsiveness to incidents of violence at live music events. I thought, wow, I love that that is out there in the world and that they're taking that on. Um, and so Kim has really stepped into this leadership role at Calling All Crows as the executive director. And she brings with her a decade of sexual violence prevention and response work. In addition to experience in project management and facilitation and crisis management, so she has this amazing skill set that she's able to use to help 
create conversation and strategy and oh my gosh just so much and of course you know she loves music and <laughs> so it's a good fit um, her passion for music and um, her passion to see an end to sexual violence really come together so beautifully in the work that she's doing so I'm just excited to have her here today to share with you all um, what this is all about and even how you can get involved and support their efforts so Kim, welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thanks for having me and thanks for that lovely intro. I <laughs> carry your pocket. <laughs> I'm a good hype woman. Woo! <laughs> oh my goodness. So Kim, I really wanted to start out today hearing a little bit more about you and your story and kind of what led you into doing this work with Calling All Crows. Yeah, so uh, so I have been at Cornell Crows on and off since I was a college student. So I sort of stumbled into the organization uh, by going to a concert. I went to a service project that they had before a concert and thought that was mm -hmm. so cool to just be combining service and advocacy and music and sort of literally meeting yeah. people where they're at, which is at a show. Um, and, and so I went on as a student to sort of um, keep working with them part-time while I, while I was in school. Cool. Oh, yeah. And in, yeah, and in the background, I was, um, you know, on campus, I was a crisis counselor. Uh, I was teaching some rape and sexual assault um, health workshops. And so sort of had both of these tracks that were pretty separate at that point in my life, but they were both pretty big and sort of important parts of my um, college experience. Um, and and I'm, I sort of moved on, graduated, went on to work in startups and then a big corporation and did some other things and, um, and found my way back to Calling All Crows in 2017. So I had continued doing sexual violence, um, more response work at that point, um, less on the prevention side. So I was doing some, again, crisis counseling, doing some um, speaking. So I, I am also a sexual assault survivor and that's a big part of why I was drawn to this work um, to begin with. And so I think, uh, and I always like to just sort of name that, you know, being a survivor doesn't make you an expert and it doesn't require you to have to work in the field. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah. I, I, I find it personally to be empowering and to be a great way to sort of channel some of that trauma into uh, something that to me feels productive and useful and um, to sort of tap into the empathy that that trauma has mm -hmm. helped cultivate in me and, and really um, build new skills and put some of those like survivor superpowers to use. Mm, um, yeah. And so, uh, so I continued doing this um, sexual assault prevention and, and response work. Uh, and so in 2017, I rejoined the music industry and, and, you know, had missed it. I had been gone for maybe three or four years and um, it was the place where I loved activism the most. You know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm definitely an activist outside of my work life as well. But when it's in combination with something so positive, it's yeah. definitely where I feel most at home. And so um, I came back to Colonel Crows, and that was when we launched what we call our Here Physic campaign. And so that's, that's the work that you've been, you know, you described so beautifully around preventing and responding to sexual violence uh, in the live event space. And uh, so we've been doing that work for ooh, a little over two years now um, mm -hmm. and and really, um, yeah, finding ways to partner with the music industry that we're a part of to help improve their safety response uh, and improve their ability to deal with this sort of form of everyday violence that is, is being done in 
in venues and at festivals. Mm. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for sharing a little bit of your own story and your own journey. I think it's it's so true. Those of us who go through trauma, we often feel called to become advocates and mm-hmm. step into to work. But not required, folks. You don't have to do that. Um, a really good point to to kind of reiterate. And you know what a fascinating you know space to really be stepping into. Seeing you know of course. This is happening in these sorts of spaces at these venues, and there aren't any structures, there aren't any support systems, just basic education, really, about how to respond and what to do, um, really lacking. I'm so curious about, you know, the receptiveness. Like, has it been like, you know, knocking down, you know, walls, or have people been fairly open and excited to, you know, be given these tools and these resources? What have you noticed um, out there as you've been been doing this work? Yeah, it's wildly different depending on who you talk to. Uh, Mm -hmm. We've had, and what I'll say, you know, we're a small organization, a small team. And so at this point, we've had a lot, well, you know, sort of been in the position of going for lower hanging fruit. So, you know, we definitely have gotten no's or just been ignored by certain (laughs) companies Mm. but there are enough saying yes that we are able to work with them and and, you know and start there so that definitely has been sort of the bright spot of because we're at the beginning of something new there aren't very many organizations doing this not a lot of venues and festivals and artists paying attention to it until recently um, you know we can work with the people saying yes and not yet work on convincing everyone else Mm -hmm. who's saying no to us so yeah um but the, in terms of the sort of positive response, I think what's been interesting is we, we really put an effort to frame this as a safety issue. So to talk about it, not as a women's issue or not as a this sort of nonprofit separate thing, mm-hmm. but to say, you know, you're already thinking about safety. If you think about the last concert or festival you went through, you might have had to go through a metal detector. You had your right. bag searched. Um, they have security guards at every entrance and uh, buffering the stage. They have a lot of safety guidance around how stages are built and around alcohol consumption. And they are, they prioritize safety in a lot of ways in that industry. Um, This is a huge gap. And by framing it that way of saying, you already are experts at safety you know, many yeah. festivals now have active shooter protocols. And like, I was going to say, like, they, don't they have protocols for things like yeah. that or like a fist fight or something like yes. that? So they know, totally. like, if this starts to happen, this is the immediate response, what we're supposed to yeah. do. Yeah. So, it's, you know, you have all of, you know, you have safety experts on your team already. And yeah. You know how to think about these things. And oftentimes you're planning for sort of extreme. Um, and by extreme, I mean, like, not frequent. So, um you know, unique maybe uh, forms of violence, like mm-hmm. an active shooter or uh, a tornado hitting your festival or things like this. Um, what about this more everyday form of violence that you're seeing in your venues, right? And we and we know that, and we know that anecdotally by every time we do a training with venues, we hear stories of what they've seen. They're not surprised by this. They're not saying, oh, yeah. this doesn't happen here. They're saying, we don't know what to do. Um, but also we've done some surveying to, you know, to get a sense of people's experiences at live events. And it's it's definitely people are having really negative traumatic experiences at these events. And so that has been the framing that we've used and and people have been pretty receptive to that of saying, Mm -hmm. oh, you're right. This is a gap. How do we, how do we fill it? Thank you for that. You know, I think it's a really beautiful thing to be noticing, hey, 
this is happening. You have these other systems already in place. So how can we carry that over? What are the nuances? What are the differences for addressing this type of assault or this type of um, safety issue? Uh, but getting people curious and interested. And I, I was actually going to ask, you know, have you heard stories? Do people share about experiences that they've had where they've just kind of not known what to do in that moment? And we know for people who've just experienced an assault, that can be just another layer of trauma that gets added into the bucket, right, when people don't yeah. know what to say and what to do. Yeah, we definitely do. I mean, this is a moment where I'm so glad as like someone who's a little bit more focused on the prevention side that I have response training. I think it's just really important for anyone yeah. doing this work. I mean, you, you just can't, well, I mean, you can, but you, you, once you start talking about sexual violence, the stories pour in, you become a safe person to talk to mm -hmm. and having the skills to be able to respond healthily and helpfully to those people, but also to take care of yourself. I mean, I think that I don't know how I would do this work if I didn't myself go through therapy and like really have the skills to, um, to understand secondary trauma. Um, but mm -hmm. to your question, you know, yes, we do, we do hear those. And I think one of the pieces we incorporate into our, our training is how to respond uh, compassionately. And, you know, we're not turning security guards and bartenders into counselors. In fact, we're reminding them that they're not counselors and to right. not take it on. Yeah. Right? To say like, right. hey, this is not your job and you need to hold a professional boundary. Yeah, because I bet that's one of the biggest concerns, right? Yeah. Like, oh, mm -hmm. now I've got to like really see this person all the way through or now I'm responsible totally. or... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a big concern. So it's a fear for some people, right? Of being like, well, I'm not equipped to do that. And then for others who are you know, very kindly and compassionately trying to be as helpful as they can, they get in too deep, you know, but they're not actually, either not equipped to deal with it because they don't have the skills or they're just overstepping a different boundary, right? That this yeah. person didn't come to report it to you because you're their best friend. They came to report it to you because it, they think it's your job. Right. Um, right. And so if you start, you know, going really personal or try to give them a hug or do these different things, you know, that it can be a whole new boundary violation for someone. So it's both directions of people who are afraid of, of like, I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do? And, and those who sort of go too personal in their Interesting. response. Ooh, I like that. That's really helpful. It's it's interesting to think about those two ends of that spectrum because mm -hmm. I hadn't really thought about what if somebody just yeah. does jump right in and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. it's like overwhelming and too much for the person as opposed yeah. to support. It's almost like incorrect or inappropriate support. Yeah. What? Let's get into the nitty gritty because I I know for those uh you know so for some of our listeners they might be in these sorts of roles or they're just out in their life and they might have occasion to come upon or experience somebody you know coming to them for support like this. What are some of the you know things that you teach people to say and to do? What are some of those parameters? I know you can't get it all in in the time that we have <laughs> here today. So these are like you know just like little little mini tips like if nothing else do this. Yeah. Um, do you have anything you'd like to share around that? Yeah, also we do we do work on the prevention side and on the response side. So I'll give a little tip on each of those. Great. Um, so on the prevention side, you know, we talk about um, being active bystanders. So not, not necessarily talking about if this is your literal job, but just if you're someone who's witnessing um, something that's potentially harmful, you right? Like your like attention goes up, what can you do? Mm. Um, and, and so we have what we, we talked about is the five D's of intervention. So you can be direct, which is exactly what it sounds like. Go directly address it. Yeah. Um, 
you can create a distraction. And this is one of my favorite ones. Ooh, nice. Um, yeah, as, so that's the one I'm going to talk about more. It's, it's really like when you, particularly when you're not involved, right? Like you do not know the people involved. You don't have full information for what's going on. You just sense that something's not quite right. Um, yeah not directly addressing it can actually be safe for, for everyone involved, um, for yourself, but also for the people there. Um, because again, you don't have full information. So you might be making some assumptions. You might, um, you know, maybe it's a domestic abuse situation. And you really don't want to escalate that. So going in and mm. just interrupting what's happening, just gives someone a minute to like regain their sense of self and to be brought back to their body if they were starting to dissociate or whatever it is. And you, just create an out for someone, right? So it could be as simple as going over. I think, you know, we talk about this at live events. An easy one is, hey, could you take a photo of me, right? Oh, nice, that, yeah. Sort of, and it, it takes a little bit longer and it requires someone to physically move. Right. <laughs> um, so it's like, hey, here's my phone. Can you take a photo of me um, over, you know, by the stage um, or, you know, just with your friend close by. Don't make them go too far away. Um, yeah. And if someone, if it was a dangerous situation, that gives someone a, a good amount of time to walk away safely. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, when they're over there, they might say to you, oh, thanks so much for, for stopping over. Um, but they also, maybe you misread the situation and they might just go right back and like continue on. And right. like, maybe it was a totally normal fight for them and not dangerous. So a distraction is a great way to insert yourself into a situation, but without directly addressing it. Um, you can also just go over and say, like, where's the bathroom? You don't have to be that quick on your feet uh, right. to come up with a distraction. I, I always have, where's the bathroom in my back pocket? That's a good um, one, yeah. Because, again, it's, it's just enough time to sort of, like, get someone to realize, like, oh, you're not yeah. alone, and, yep. you know, there are other people, and there are eyes on you, and it's okay. Beautiful. Oh, that's yeah, so, so that's, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that's on the prevention side. Um, those were two of the Ds. The others, just so you know, um, are to delegate to someone else. So maybe you're not the best person, but maybe you can find their friend and send them over. Um, and delay. So to delay is like waiting until the situation has passed and then checking in on them afterwards, which can okay. be really powerful. I think about that a lot with like catcalling, for example. Yeah. Uh, it's such a fast incident that you might not actually be able to interrupt it at all. Um, but you can still go over and say like, Hey, are you okay? Um, like I saw that, are you doing okay? Um, uh, so those are the, the D's of prevention, but on the response side, again, it's going to depend on who you are, what skills you have, but also your relationship to the people in health. But, you know, say it's someone you are, it's an acquaintance, right? Like maybe not your best friend, but someone who's not just a total stranger. Um, if you, if you witness something and you're right nearby or they sort of turn to you and are like sort of seem distressed by some event and it might be catcalling it might be groping it might just you know whatever it is that they're feeling sort of shaken by yeah I think what we try to um, remind right you as a listener and a supporter is one just sort of hear them right like you know listen to where they're at and don't try to fix it like your job is not a fixer and like the yeah. thing you can do best is like be present with them in that moment and validate their experience and ask what they might need. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes asking what someone needs can be really overwhelming if they're like super stressed out, like right. and like really, really frazzled can sometimes actually be overwhelming. So just saying like, hey, do you want to take three deep breaths together can be a great way to help ground someone. But if they seem sort of like 
with it, not, not really frazzled saying like, Hey, when, when you feel stressed, what's helpful for you? You know, mm. do you have a friend nearby that Great I can help life. you find? Yeah. Um, really, again, it's just super simple stuff of like, you don't need to try not to fix anything. People mm. seem to want to jump to fixing and that can often feel really invalidating or like overwhelming. Right. And instead just, yeah, like helping them meet their need in that moment so that they can figure out how to fix it, you know, if there's, if they want to report it to someone, if they want to go ask for help, that yeah. they can, you know, have their wits about them and do that themselves. Thank you. That's an interesting thing because, uh, you know, I see this in my online forum, right, in my Healing from Sexual Abuse Facebook group that people will will talk sometimes about, like, this just happened. It's very it's mm-hmm. very rare that people are coming into that particular community, but it does. Um, and it is interesting how people will jump on and be like, okay, so you're going to go report it, right? <laughs> I'm like, whoa, yeah. like, breaks, hold on. <laughs> like, they haven't even processed, like, what's mm-hmm. happened and how they're feeling and what they need. So I think that's a really beautiful guidance there, like help them really just attune to what they need in that moment, check in, be a, you know, a grounding presence for them um, and help ask questions that will help them, you know, connect into what they need. Mm -hmm. Awesome. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want us to talk a little bit more about the sexual assault spectrum, because I'm noticing as we're dialoguing here that I want to clarify that for our listeners, like, what are we actually looking for out in the (laughs) world that we're trying to prevent? We'll take a quick break and then we'll be back. Have you ever felt like you've tried everything to heal from the pain of sexual abuse and yet nothing seems to be really helping? Well, one of the reasons why most people struggle to break free from the pain of past child abuse is because the techniques out there are positioned as a one-size-fits-all answer. What I want you to know is that there are actually three distinct phases on the path to recovery. And I'd love to share with you about these phases, what issues you must resolve to move to the next phase, and what kinds of support you'll need in order to move forward as quickly and completely as possible. The road to recovery is much easier when you know what stage you're in and what to do next. So don't hesitate. Go to rachelgrantcoaching.com slash checklist and get your nine-page guide today. Now back to our show. Welcome back. Okay, so Kim, I'm noticing as I'm listening to you that you're describing a variety of things that we might be seeing out in the world. And I want to bring it certainly in the context of being at a concert, being at a live venue, but also just, as you've mentioned, like out on the street, things are happening Mm -hmm. around us. And you've mentioned things like, well, catcalling. Or somebody, you know, seeming to be maybe being um, touched inappropriately. Because when we started this conversation, I myself was kind of holding in my head the most extreme cases. I don't even know if I like saying it that way. The, the spectrum of experience, right? So we have, you know, somebody who is raped, somebody who is sexually assaulted at a venue. And then there are people who experience catcalling and all of that matters. All of that matters and has an impact. And so I think it's good for us to open up the conversation to make sure that we're thinking about it all. And maybe it's just for me. Maybe everybody else is already thinking. But could you, could you speak to that a little bit? Because I think it is helpful to just name, like, these are the things that count um, to pay attention to and to be looking for. Yeah, thanks for that question. I love that. Yeah. So we actually, we intentionally really talk about sexual violence as opposed to 
sexual assault um, because of that, that all of those things that you that we've been talking about violence right like catcalling is violence um, yeah. harassment is violence is violence um, whereas sexual assault sort of a, a specific legal definition we're talking about this we're talking broadly about a spectrum of violence and and part of the reason we do that is because uh, well, all of it matters, as you said, right? Like all of those things will have varying levels of impact on the individual who's, who's it's being done to, right? So yeah. for one person, um, you know, being groped by a stranger in a crowd could be like a brush on the shoulder, right? Like that it doesn't actually mm. impact them. And that's okay. They're allowed to not be impacted by it. Whereas another person might, you know, be um, sort of, harassed by someone um, verbally, you know, walking by and right. that that could really, really deeply hit them and impact them. And those, that's, you know, it's okay. Like there's not a right response to things and we're not ranking like, um, you know, we're not in the trauma Olympics here. We're not trying to cheat. <laughs> yes, <winner>. exactly. <laughs> um, I always say in my program, trauma is not a competition. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we're not keeping score. You don't get more points. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's, there's no point system here. But we do think it's useful to use a continuum and to think about it as a spectrum because um, from like abuser's perspective, like people tr tend to like dip their toe into violence so they don't go straight to rape. That's not really like the way that that works, especially in a, an event space. So yeah. someone might, you know, start with something that's sort of non-mutual, um, but not yet physically aggressive and maybe not repetitive, right? So a cat call, for example, mm -hmm. so sort of, um, or, you know, buying someone a drink, but like not talking to them at all, or really like, it's, it's not flirting. It is very much just sort of like this, this thing, or, you know, it's, it's bad flirting and they um, then persist, right? Something that's right. non-mutual might be their, their dipping, um, you know, where they dip their toe in. And then if that goes if they get away with it, right? If no one says anything, no one blinks an eye, oh, that was totally fine. They might step up their game to persistent harassment, you know, so persistent thing like, oh, you know, like not taking no for an answer. Like, why won't you take the drink? Right. Like, what are you, know, why are you being? Come on already. Like, blah, What's your problem? Yeah. Your problem? Just relax. All that great stuff. Yeah, like, it's <laughs> yeah. fine. We're at a show, right? And then if that, right, gets no response from anyone, everyone's just sort of looking away or ignoring it. They're like, cool, I can do that here too. Great. Like, let's see what else I can do. And then they might step up their game to physical touching um, or, or like verbal threats, right? Like not just sort of like pushing someone, but actually threatening them. Like, oh, if you don't do this, then like, I'm going to go, you know, like, I'm not going to leave you alone or mm. I'm going to follow you even if you try and leave, mm. right? Like, so stepping up to either threats or actual touching. Um, and if that, it's like, oh yeah, I can do that here. Like no one's, might again up their game even if they're too afraid um and that's not always done on the same person either right like the back can they might test mm. something in one area of the bar and then go to the other side of the bar and test something else so those are all um, you know things that people are sort of testing the environment for what is possible it's not always logical but it, it there is that stuff like we get away with in a specific space and yeah, so this might not just be with one person, but they might actually, it's really more about testing the entire environment, right? So it's not about that individual's response. Is that person going to push back? But is this space going to push back? Right. Um, you know, is this environment going to let me do this here? Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that's sort of 
what we try to think about is what is allowed in this environment and where are we holding the line? Because for many that, people, yeah. Oh, go ahead. For many people. I was going to say, for, yeah, for many people, I mean, I think they sort of, like, logistically, or if they're being honest with themselves, the line at rape, right? That, like, many people, when they're hearing hearing something, don't actually step in. They're sort of right. waiting until it becomes crystal clear and on the way far end of the spectrum that that's when we feel sort of comfortable and confident stepping in and saying like, mm-hmm. hey, you can't do that. Um, but we need to hold the line a lot sooner, right? And yeah. so, and it can be using those other methods, right? It doesn't always have to be direct. It can be distraction of, you know, going mm-hmm. in. But we see those initial warning signs of like, oh, there's some non-mutual behavior going on here. That's yeah. where we need to start holding the line. And again, when I say holding the line, that doesn't mean you have to bounce everyone out of a venue or arrest, you know, we're not arresting them or doing anything. Mm-hmm. We're just interrupting that behavior and saying, hey, yeah. like, please don't do that. Giving feedback that that behavior is not okay. If it becomes repetitive or if it moves further down the spectrum, that's when you start thinking about some mm-hmm. sort of discipline, right? Right. Giving a warning, kicking someone out, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. But for a lot of it, it's just that sort of feedback like, hey, please don't do that here or, you know, mm-hmm. or we'll need to take further action. Interesting. Yeah, thank you for exploring that further. I think that is a really um, important aspect of what we're talking about. And I love the idea of that it's both community, like as people, lay people, if you will, are more aware mm-hmm. and feel more confident and comfortable using these tools that they can hold that line, as you say. But also, certainly, we're looking to the people who are running the venue to be aware and be present and be mm-hmm. willing to step in. So, you know, I get really excited by, you know, imagining that there's, you know, going to be, you know, as you all at Cowling All Crows continue to reach other venues and speak to more and more people that this can become, you know, just a way that people think about how to create safety, another layer of that um, in these spaces. So. As we begin to um, near the end of our conversation today, I could really talk to you for hours <laughs> about this. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about Calling All Crows and, and what you're up to these days. I know you have some um, campaigns happening and, and want to talk about how people can, you know, volunteer and reach out and support the work you're doing. So tell us a little more about that, Kim. Yeah, so Calling All Crows is a cool organization. So. This work that we've been talking about is one of our major campaigns, and we love this work. So our Here for the Music campaign is focused on live events and safety at live events by preventing sexual violence. Um, But as an organization, our our broader mission is really to partner with musicians and and their fans, and so like music lovers out in the world, and to mobilize those communities towards community change. Uh, We work mostly on issues affecting women. Um, That's like incredibly broad because all issues affect women but we do try to bring that gender lens to what we do Um, flexible um and so uh so yeah so we're really thinking about you know how do we organize all of these people who are gathering in person over something positive um and channel that energy into social change uh and so the here for the music campaign is a great way to be involved if this if sexual violence prevention is an issue you're passionate about which i would imagine many of you are uh tuning in and so we have volunteers who help um with you know we'll be at festivals or at concerts and have people there who are who are doing education and awareness so it's not that we're asking you to go be security guards um it's that you might be at a table sort of talking to people about 
you know, these types of intervention strategies and building that awareness. So that's one great way to be involved. And then our other campaigns right now are major focus around mass incarceration and really trying to um, sort of the U.S. has a wildly out of control yeah. um, prison and jail population. We just lock people up um, willy nilly. And so we're really working on decarceration in the U.S., which um, you know, particularly in, you know, in light of a global pandemic, um, that becomes incredibly important that yeah. these folks not receive death sentences and, you know, might, by, by virtue of being locked up for, you know, not showing up in court or not being able to pay bail, um, they could die in, in, mm-hmm. in jail. And so that, that work is something we're also working on. And, and so if when this airs, hopefully we're soon to be out of, uh, oh out of lockdown, yes, but crossed. I don't know that we will be. So uh, we've been doing these sort of live streams and, and directing people towards action. So that's a great way to wow. virtually get involved. Yeah. Um, but once we're, once we're back and, and tours and festivals are back up and running, um, there are opportunities to get involved with our work um, on that campaign and other campaigns as well. So all of that you can find at um, org and on our social media. So particularly our Facebook page has been full of live streams um, during this lockdown. So nice. um, yeah, so that's the best way to sort of uh, hear more about our work and to, to get involved in it. Okay. I love that. And are you um, located in a particular area in the, in the state, in the world? Are you all over? Um, where can people expect to find these opportunities to volunteer? Yeah, so our home base is Boston, but we work nationally. So we, we occasionally work internationally, but those are pretty rare um, instances for us. So we're in the U.S. Um, anywhere there are major music venues is, is sort of where we'll be mm-hmm. because we work directly with musicians' tours. So if they're coming through um, your city on a tour, you might find us there. Um, but the cities we work in most and where we have our biggest base of like consistent opportunities are Denver, Colorado, uh, Chicago, Illinois, uh, New England broadly. It's so tiny that our right. home base in Boston can cover all of New England. Uh, and then um, Washington, D.C. And we'll be building out into Nashville next. So if you're in Nashville, nice. we especially want to hear from you. Yeah. Because that's where we're, we're building out our next group. Oh, my goodness. That's beautiful. And I hope soon enough you'll be out in San Francisco and I can yes. show up and support and help. We have some great, um, you know, live festivals that happen every year out here at Golden Gate Park, um, yes. just up the street from where I am. And it's beautiful and wonderful. And I know it's also absolutely necessary yes. that we continue to spread the word about the work that you're doing and it help you all expand. So please, everybody listening, go check out Calling All Crows. Spread the word about this organization. <clears throat> Excuse me. Spread the word about this organization. Let people know. And if you love music and you want to get involved in this conversation about how to both prevent and respond to sexual violence at music venues, live music venues, then please get involved. What a wonderful, beautiful way to contribute and, um, and donate your time. So, Kim, any final thoughts for our listeners today? Uh, just thanks for being here and for listening and, and hope that you took something away uh, from this conversation. That's so appreciative for all of you tuning in. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was yeah, such a joy you. to have you here and thank you everybody for, for joining us and tuning in today. Don't forget to visit rachelgrantcoaching.com to learn more about sexual abuse recovery coaching and explore the other resources available on the site. 
And please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a, a comment and a note and then come back next time because we have so much more to share. Until then, take good care of you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.